This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Good morning, South Fellowship. Second week in a row. And uh, so I was going to just do a quick 30-second recap of last week uh, because I've never gotten booed in a sermon before. Um, So I'm waiting for it to pop up. Here we go. I know. So what I'd like to do is, is I'm trying to rectify that. So I was born in Seattle. I grew up in Oregon. So I grew up hating the Raiders. Okay. Common ground. Okay. Make up for last week. And uh, so actually I was invited to on a mission trip, for those who weren't here, uh, to France back in 1998. Uh, and that's where I actually met my wife. And we were married um, on Cannon Beach in front of Haystack Rock back in 2002, well, actually where Ryan was all last week. Uh, beautiful place, one of the most beautiful beaches in the world, just not very sunny. So that's the only catch there. Um, that that uh, summer back in 1998 and then again in 1999, God really gripped my heart with the French-speaking world. The fact that the majority of people in France, they have never opened this book before, and their only interaction with Jesus is as a statue in Mary's arms and never realizing that Jesus is still changing and transforming lives today. Um, and that was uh, a heartbreaking thing for me when I was sitting on the Sacré Cœur, in front of the Sacré Cœur on that hill, and looking out and seeing 11 million Parisians. So I came back and um, applied to World Venture to become a full-time worker globally, and my wife also applied there, and we, we wanted to go back to France. Well, how often do we set up plans and we're planning on something and God redirects us? Maybe that's never happened in your life. That's happened multiple times in mine. Um, and it's, you know, times especially where you have dreams, you're holding on to them, and God just, you know, very gently, or maybe not gently, rips them out of our hands. Um, and he sent us to Quebec, and the first question people already always ask about Quebec is, you know, how cold is it? Well, it's really cold. So that's the answer to that. But we saw God uh, do some, in- crazy, um, some incredible things there in Quebec. Uh, we were able to be a part of um, a group of churches that was passionate about church planting, and we were able to actually launch and, and lead a couple of different churches uh, and, and launch out multiple other churches as I was a part of a church planting um, um, consortium as we were evaluating uh, and, and sending out church planters all across the province, and that was really a privilege to be there. And here are just a couple of photos of that. And if you have issues with your baptismal tank, we did too. You can see Gerald's face there. Um, it was always freezing cold to go with the weather. Here's my wife, Martine, my son, Caleb, my daughter, Constance. And I was speaking with, I think it was Todd, um, this last week. And he said that his son is an extreme extrovert. So is mine. So we thought, we're going to get them together and send them to an unreached people group. And then they'll hear the gospel. <laughs> so that's kind of, they'll meet everybody. My daughter is a fantastic artist like my wife, um, who studied fashion. Now, over the last couple of weeks, what we've, we've done is we've been walking through and examining God's relentless pursuit of humanity. He loves us. And we looked at Adam and Eve, how God created them to have a relationship with him, and they turned away from that relationship. And we saw how God called and pursued Abraham to lift up uh, Abraham as a people group, not, not for their benefit, but for the benefit of the nations. And, and then also we saw God work through the life of Moses, pursuing Moses. And we saw even uh, King Solomon uh, as he was dedicating the temple, and, and he was dedicating 
dedicating it not just for Israel, but so that the nations would know that there's one God, the creator of the universe, that loves all nations. And we saw that. And last week, we also saw um, that Jesus came, God in the flesh, to this earth. He walked. He lived on this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died, but he didn't only die. He rose again, conquering sin, death, and our spiritual enemies. And then he unleashed the church sending his Holy Spirit, and then the church was unleashed um, and, and walked, uh, moved, left Jerusalem, went to Judea, went to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, which includes Littleton, Colorado, and we're part of that unleashing here today. And it's just fantastic to see this story and realize that we're in the story, like we're part of it. And the story isn't over yet, and we, we see some hints of what's to come in Revelation 5, Revelation 7, Revelation 21, where all of the nations, representatives of the nations and the people groups of the, of the earth, one day are going to be standing in front of the God of the universe and worshiping him together. We saw that last week, and that was awesome, wasn't that? Yes. So he said we should have clapped. It was, and some of the, the maps that we saw, that was... The first time I saw those, I had chills, so it was fantastic. Um, one of the things that I'm convinced of is that God works through disorientation. And he, when he, in, um, in, yes, I'm, like, I'm going back and forth in my head from French to English, and I just can't figure this out, so I appreciate your grace with me. As God introduces, it's not introduce, introduces um, disorientation into our lives, and especially as adults, our learning ability skyrockets. Because uh, you know, when we're comfortable and we're, when we're in our rhythm, we don't really want to learn anything. Like, life is good, right? But when our life is upside down, all of a sudden, we want to learn how to get out of this situation. And, and I believe that right now, when we look around the world, and what is happening in the Middle East and North Africa and a lot of other parts of the world, that God is using disorientation today to open up the world to Jesus Christ. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at ordinary people unleashed and how God used a disorientation to unleash ordinary people like you, like me, and use them to unleash them to see tr a transformed city. We, we looked at kind of the broad spectrum. Today we're going to dig down uh, deep into one particular city. In Acts chapter 11, uh, we're going to look at the church in Antioch. Just to review and not forget this, mission is not ours. It's not my thing. Mission is God's. Certainly the mission of God is the prior reality out of which flows any mission that we get involved in. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. Let's pray. God, thank you for your relentless love, your pursuit of humanity throughout history in our pursuit, your pursuit of us and your love for us and your desire to use us to woo other peoples to yourself. God, please bring that home to us. Open our eyes to us so that as we walk out these doors, we would be completely enamored with your love and your desire to work through us and to unleash us where we are. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. So what better way to start a sermon than to talk about the French, right? Yes, 
a little-known historical figure called Napoleon Bonaparte, and my understanding of him and, and one of the geniuses of, of, of Napoleon was how he transformed, um, well, prior to Napoleon, um, countries, European nations, they had their own like, professional army that was funded by the royal treasury. And so they had these kind of small professional armies of 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 people. I mean, small, you know, relatively speaking. And they would have their little skirmishes, their little wars. And then at the end of the war, they, you know, whoever lost, then you'd get a parcel of land and they would sign it back and forth. And that's kind of what they would do. Well, well, Napoleon revolutionized all of this because he didn't have a professional army. What he did is he turned the entire French nation into a military machine, so that every single citizen of France was either on the front lines or supporting the front lines. And so what happened is when he started a war, it was a tidal wave of this military machine flowing and overflowing into all of the surrounding countries. And he was meeting with one of his counterparts in Austria one day, and he was talking to him, and he said, this is what he said. He said, you cannot stop me. I can spend 30,000 men a month. And so the other European powers were not used to this. They didn't know how to react. It's kind of, I don't know if I'd like my leader to say he could just spend me like that in that sense. I mean, but on the other sense, when you look on the other side, during World War II, uh, the United States, we actually adopted this philosophy, didn't we? So we're fighting a two-front battle, one with the Japanese and one with the Germans, with the Axis powers. And, and um, as we're going through that, as we're going through World War II, we, the entire American nation... United States, we were uh, transformed into this military machine. We were. Uh, and we won, right? Which is great. And, and it's interesting, Isoruku Yamamoto, uh, a Japanese admiral, is quoted as to have, have said um, not to, he, he discouraged the Japanese um, from invading the United States. He said, if we do, there will be a rifle behind every blade of grass. And we know it's true, Right? I mean, I mean, how many of us, if somebody was invading Colorado, we'd sit back and wait for the military? Hello, here, over here. I mean, no, we wouldn't. We'd all pull out our military, our, our weapons, and we'd go to war. We would do that, because that's who we are as Americans. And what we're seeing, or maybe we're not, I'm sorry, maybe Coloradans don't like weapons. I don't know. I mean, I'm seeing stickers all over the place. I'm not seeing any reaction whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you would be there. Hello, hello, please come defend me, Mr. Policeman. I mean, no, I'm, assuming, I'm sorry. I've been around enough Coloradans. Montanans are worse. I just got to, okay, one quick, sorry. I was in Montana speaking, and I would, I would ask guys in Montana, so how many weapons do you have? Like, just out of curiosity. And the answer, response was always, you mean total or in my car? Or my truck? So that was... <laughs> Actually, in my truck. I'm sorry. There were no cars in Montana. Okay. So what we see in Acts chapter 11 is we see a church that takes this to heart, that every single person were a part of this mission. Every single last one of us. Everyone. And it begins in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. So let's jump there. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. So a little bit of background. 
So we saw that Jesus came, he died, he rose again, he conquered death, and then in that gap between his resurrection and the ascension, he's spending time with the disciples, unleashing them. And then a little bit later, they're in Jerusalem, they receive the Holy Spirit, they're speaking in tongues, all of these things are happening. Peter gets up and he explains to the crowd what's happening and telling people they need to turn away from their own selfish ways and turn to the way of Jesus. And 3,000 people did that that day. And then later on, in Acts chapter 4, we see that the church in in Jerusalem had grown to 5,000 men. So if you take that and you add women and children, we're talking about a church of how many? 10, 15, 20,000 people in Jerusalem. This huge church in Jerusalem. And then what we see is the, the government and the local leaders begin to clamp down on the church. They begin to throw people in prison. They even murdered one of the key leaders, Stephen. And the church is scattered all around the world. And they're scattered to places like Alexandria, to Cyprus, uh, to Cyrene, to Antioch. And that's where we are. And so they are, um, here we are in verse 19, we're there. So spreading the word only among Jews. And so the parallel is these Jews show up in Antioch and they find people like them, speaks a similar language, similar culture, similar traditions, and uh, they begin sharing the good news of Jesus with them. And so that would be just like, let's say if your work takes you to Saudi Arabia or to Hong Kong or to... Um, you know, Mexico or whatever, and when you show up there, you find the American expat community, and what you do is you start telling them about Jesus, because Jesus is awesome, and he, he's the, the central figure of all human history, and he's the one who came to save us, and so you're sharing this good news with them, and that's good, and we would applaud that, and that would be great. Are we in agreement? Yes. yes. Amen. But what happens in verse 20? Some of them, however, men from Cyprus And Cyrene, so Cyprus is this island out in the Mediterranean, and Cyrene is actually modern-day Libya. So they're coming from North Africa, which is pretty interesting, and end up in Antioch. And what they do is they speak to Greeks also. So they cross some ethno-linguistic boundaries. They go and speak with people who do not necessarily share the same cultural heritage, the same traditions. They maybe don't even have the same mother tongue And they begin to share the good news of Jesus, crossing these barriers. And when that happens, when they're getting outside their comfort zone, they've already been disoriented because of the persecution. They've been thrown out of Jerusalem. And then they end up in Antioch. They're going outside the box. They're doing this crazy thing, talking to people different than than them. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. God did a mighty work in Antioch. A couple of things about Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, so it's basically the Chicago of the Roman Empire. You know, New York, L.A., Chicago. So in the Roman Empire, my understanding, it was Rome, Alexandria, Antioch. So it was this major urban center. And here we can see some of the ruins here. This huge city with a Roman and Greek influence. And what ended up happening is that this church was begun in Antioch. The Lord's hand was with them. A great number of people believed 
This church ended up becoming one of the greatest mission-sending churches in the history of the world. Who started this? We don't see any apostles' names. We don't see seminarians' names. We don't see celebrity pastor-type names. We don't see any of this. We see regular, ordinary people that ended up in Antioch and they began making disciples in Antioch where they were. It became the greatest mission-sending church probably in history, and we don't even know their names. That is awesome to me. That means that God can use you, God can use me, God can use any one of us where we are to make disciples, and we don't know where that thing could go. All we know is that God can use us where we are. Man, if you walk out with anything today, I hope you walk out with the renewed vision that God has called you where you are. And God can use you to do amazing things, to see transformation where you are as you walk with the Spirit. Unleashed to multiply unique disciples, ordinary people, regular people. I was in Marseille a few months ago uh, in the southern France. It's a city of about five million people. Beautiful city, multicultural city, uh, a large Muslim conquer, conquer, um, uh, population, about 300,000 or so, uh, mainly Algerian Muslims. And uh, I was in this particular neighborhood. I won't tell you which one it was since this, be, this is being recorded, but uh, it was a... Uh, a very difficult neighborhood. The police generally do not go into this neighborhood. It's mainly an immigrant neighborhood, a lot of Muslim Salafists and, and, and the nature, uh, that nature of people, and a, a lot of violence, um, drug use, as well as drug dealing. Uh, and when we walked into this neighborhood, uh, we saw it. I mean, you could, you could see the drug dealing. You could see the drug runners. You saw it. I'd never seen anything in a neighborhood that blatant. The police only show up every, once every couple of months. In comes Gilbert. Yes, right? With a mustache and glasses and scarf. He's only missing a baguette. French pastor. <laughs> Gilbert is fantastic. And Gilbert has a passion for, for God. He realizes that, that God sent his son. He realizes uh, what it, the price that God paid to, to, to uh, reconcile humanity to himself. He realizes that every single person, no matter where we're from, we are made in the image of God. He realizes that, he sees that, and he has a passion for this particular community. But for the last 10 years, uh, the French government has been throwing red tape in his way. So he could not, he, was, he had a group of seven churches that they wanted to invest in this particular community, and, and, but he couldn't do it. There was bureaucracy after a, a bureaucracy. And, and a couple of years ago, the local French prefect, uh, a political leader, um, he wanted to meet with the evangelicals in um, Marseille and find out who in the world they were. So in France, about 1% of the population would say that they have faith in Jesus Christ as the one who came, died, and rose again, and him alone. And that, by that, they have a relationship with God starting now for, for the rest of eternity. Those are evangelicals. In the U.S., about 30%, give or take, would claim that. 
Um, so 30% versus 1% large. I mean, so the, this is a small minority. So the prefect sat down with them and asked them who they were. And, and Jinbai, with a group of pastors, began sharing with them, well, we've been transformed by Jesus. And so we're going to proclaim the name of Jesus, and we're going to love our neighbor. And so we organize things also in our communities. So we're reaching out to immigrant communities. We're reaching out and helping uh, um, single mothers, and we're helping uh, the homeless. And we're, uh, we're, all, we're involved in, in the communities around each one of our churches. And so we're, our desire is to be a blessing to those communities. At the end of that meeting, Gilbert, he said to the prefect, he said, Mr. Prefect, for the last 10 years, there's that community over there. You know that one that the police don't go to? Yes. For the last 10 years, we wanted to go in and bless that community, and you've stopped us. What have you done for that community over the last 10 years? The prefect said, honestly, we haven't done anything. Honestly, we, we don't know what to do. And so the prefect continued, and he said, well, make us a proposal. Write us a proposal, and we'll look at it. And so Jibai, what he did, he walked out of that meeting. He got together he, he, uh, three different houses of prayer to pray for this process. And then he brought together a group of French sociologists to build a plan for that community, to bless that community. And then they, they presented this plan to the local uh, prefect. And it was a plan that included um, everything from, from children's activities to French classes to computer literacy courses to everything to bless this community all in the name of Jesus. And the prefect in his office came back and they said, not only do we approve the plan and we say yes to that, but we would like to pay for the space that you're going to use for that using city funds. And if it goes well here, then we'd like to open the rest of Marseille to you and your group. See, when Gilbert, when he walks into that community, this is from that same community, he doesn't see only immigrants or Muslims or violent people, or he sees people created in God's image, that Jesus came to this earth and he died to save them. And God's relentless love is reaching out to them and pursuing them and desires to use the ordinary people in this church. Even if the police are afraid to go into this community every single day, Every single day, members of these seven churches today are walking into this community. Here's the community center. They're walking into this community, and they're serving this community where the police fear to tread. These are ordinary people, people like you and I, that God is unleashing to bless this community. Isn't that fantastic? This is who we are as a church you know, we are the body of Christ. We're people who have been transformed by Jesus. And maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you're struggling with this right now. You're saying, I'm not sure about this. Well, just know this is the vision that God has given us. As we live, we're transformed by Jesus. We're living this out in community. We're loving one another. And we're going. We are a going people, as we saw last week, and we're going to all different sectors of society. We're going into, uh, involved in sports, media, education, healthcare. Monday to Friday, this is where we're going. Government, arts, family, science, agriculture, police, and fire. And God calls us to, to join in his pursuit, his love for people as we're going into these different communities. And then as people meet Jesus and they see who he is and they're transformed by Jesus, then they too become part of the community. And then there are going people as well. And this is what we're called to as the people of Christ. 
And this is what we saw in Marseille, and this is what we're seeing here in South. And this is just great. Just a couple of things I want to highlight. I mean, ordinary people unleashed at South, and God is using, and the Holy Spirit is working in this congregation right here, right now. We're a part of this. I mean, just a couple of examples. So I spoke last week with a couple of people involved in prisons in the area. They're involved in prisons and sharing the good news of Jesus and loving people sacrificially. Uh, families adopting children. Well, family prom- promise where we're coming around and, and loving families who are going through a difficult time. Isn't it great? Like, it's not just in Marseille. It's there, but it's here too. And God's calling us to be a part of this. Um, a couple of other things, if you'd like to open up in your, in your bulletins, we're actually launching a third service, and so having a, a third service launch team tonight, because this body, we're convinced that God is not done with this place yet. And so if you'd like to join that launch team, uh, we want to see God work mightily here in Littleton, and this is one of the creative ways that South is being a part of that. So uh, if you would like to be a part of that, you can sign your name. Uh, phone, email, and drop it in the basket on the way out. And uh, we'd love, love to have you as we pray about being a part of what God is doing around the world. And also, oh, don't want to forget that, adopt a global partner. So South is involved all around the world right now. And we saw a video. Wasn't that a great video, the Maxwell's? We have the privilege of being a part of supporting what God is doing in Kenya. So I would encourage every single one of you, when we walk out of here, to walk over to the table over here and pick up one of these cards and pray about adopting and supporting and loving on some of these people that we're connected with all around the world, both here and there, and we can all play a role. We can all be a part. The second thing we see in Acts chapter 11, let's jump to verse 22. So this chaos is happening, right? This chaotic thing in Antioch No one's directing it, guiding it, other than the Holy Spirit. And news of this chaos reaches the church in Jerusalem, and so they decide to send Barnabas to Antioch and find out what in the world is going on in Antioch. And Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. He was a leader at the church in in Jerusalem. And so it'd be kind of like sending, you know, Pastor Dan down the road to find out what in the world is going on. I've been encouraged so much by Pastor Dan. (laughs) And so he showed up there, and when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done and saw that it was outside the box, he said, hey, we need to rein this thing in and stop it. No, wait, no, I'm sorry, that was not. Okay, he was glad. He was glad. So this chaotic thing was happening that we're not exactly sure what God is doing, but he's doing something amazing, and he was glad. I pray that that's, I, I know my reaction, I can have a tendency when I see God doing something outside the box that I'm not comfortable with, to kind of feel skeptical and, and, and kind of want to rein it in and kind of want to box it in. And, and Barnabas just realized, no, if God is working, I'm glad. I pray that that's our response to that. And encourage them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and and I love this. So, so he shows up. This thing is happening. But Barnabas does not uh, believe that it's, it's done. It's finished. Okay, what's happened has happened. Barnabas is convinced. And no, this is the beginning of a movement of God. And so then after Barnabas shows up, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. 
And that's a question that I have here. Isn't it great to be part of what God is doing here over the last few years? Are you encouraged? I hope so. I am. But can we have the attitude of Barnabas that maybe God is building the foundation for something else? That's exactly what was happening in Antioch. God was building a launching pad for this church to not rest in Antioch, but explode both in Antioch, but to the surrounding areas and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I don't know what God has in store for South. It's possible that five years from now that South Fellowship doesn't look anything like South Fellowship today. But we pray that the Holy Spirit doesn't stop today. But tomorrow, in the next day, in the next day, we see the Holy Spirit work even more powerfully and in mightier ways than he has up to now. And verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. This is so ironic, to look for Saul. Jump back up to verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by this persecution that Saul started, let's go get him and bring him back to Antioch. So in a weird way, Saul actually launched out this, these people to start the church in Antioch against his will. But Barnabas realized these people need shepherding. We need to walk alongside them and not just leave them. We need to not say, okay, they believe in Jesus, great, let's move on. No, we need to walk with them and see uh, and help them uh, walk in a healthy, long-term way to make more disciples and multiply disciples and invite other people to join and follow the way of Jesus. We, we need to see this thing continue to grow in maturity. We need to walk with them, and he was convinced of that. And when he had found him, verse 26, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Isn't that incredible? All of these new beginnings, all started by people we don't know, ordinary people that the Holy Spirit used in extraordinary ways. A convert, we learned this last week, will never multiply himself or herself, but a disciple always will. And Paul and Barnabas were convinced that we need to walk alongside these people and show them what that means to be a disciple of Jesus and see them multiply in healthy ways. And they did, and they were committed, and they stayed there for a year. The third thing we see is that ordinary people unleashed to impact the entire world. How does this happen? They weren't seeking it, but it happened. Verse 27, so during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. I love Luke who wrote Acts. He's kind of a little, he inserts this little parenthesis saying, you see, it's true. What I'm telling you is true. Seek the historical record. You will see there was a famine during the reign of Claudius. It happened. Real people, real places. And verse 29, the disciples in Antioch, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. 
So Antioch, which is this larger city, a richer city with more resources, they find out that their brothers and sisters in Judea need help. And so they come together and they decide to bless. They want to bless their brothers and sisters in Judea. And this is the first step towards this, toward this amazing mission. Verse 30, this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And then later on, what do we see in Acts chapter 13? They send out Paul and Barnabas. And then they send out others. And this church becomes this mission launching pad where the city itself is transformed. And then it grows and grows and grows. I saw an example of this when I was in Montpellier, which is in southern France. And I met a pastor by the name of Daniel Mattioli. Try to say that. Daniel Mattioli, he's an Italian who grew up in Switzerland, who is a pastor in, Fran- in France, so, and speaks um, French with a Swiss accent, and also speaks Italian, and I love Europe, so that's, <laughs> all of these cultures kind of together um, in that sense, uh, which is true here as well, in a different, different way. So Daniel, I had actually heard him speak in Quebec I heard him speak at a conference, and I was really impressed by him. Um, I had heard him, um, I had other friends who had, had been taught by him at a local seminary, and had been deeply impacted by him. And so when I was traveling, um, and I was in Marseille, I, I just, I had to make the two-hour train ride to Montpellier and spend a few days there and explore what God was doing uh, in that particular city, and what I found was astounding. So Daniel's church is a church of about 200 people. So significantly smaller than South in that sense. Montpellier is a city, uh, is the fastest growing city in France. Tens of thousands of people are moving into Montpellier every year. And one of the things that Daniel told me um, as he was showing me the city and showing me the different, the growth, uh, he was saying, Rob, one day God is going to hold us accountable for how we do or do not welcome these new people into our community in the name of Jesus. And that's true for South too. We know Jesus and he's sending us people from all different cultures and countries and nations from around the world to Littleton, surprisingly, and the surrounding towns. And so that's our responsibility to welcome them in the name of Christ. Also, there are four main uh, communities, Muslim communities around Montpellier. They're mainly Moroccan communities. Uh, And also, uh, 25% of the city are are university students. So one in four are attending a a university. Um, So uh, the summit group, anyway, we should have an extension over there. It would be amazing in France, in French. Um, and so while I was there, I was praying uh, with my wife and other people about what, 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 are, what are next steps look like for us, uh, because we were able to pass the baton in France, and we're praying about, God, what do you have for us for the future? It isn't clear yet, and it still isn't completely clear, but here's, uh, here, here are a couple of things that showed up, is if Quebecer churches and American churches invested in the Montpellier churches, and we were there on the ground in Montpellier, then those churches are they have a vision for church planting. And this is part of the being accountable to God piece uh, for Daniel. Uh, they have the vision for 12 new churches. Not because he wants to be audacious. He doesn't have a big vision. That's not. He just says, God is sending us so many people. We have to plant 12 churches just to keep up. Um, they're investing in students. 
Uh, they're fighting human trafficking, and, and they are uh, building a vision to make disciples in those four Muslim communities, which would trickle back to North Africa. And so we see the possibility. One of the options for us and possibilities on the table is actually to go there and be a part of that, um, in the middle of that. We're not sure yet, uh, but that's a possibility on the table. And so uh, a, a possible timeline for us is in June 2015, we uh, brought our stuff down from Quebec here to Colorado. Uh, Martine, um, my wife, she's actually applying to become a U.S. citizen. That would just facilitate coming and going from the U.S. She was, she was actually refused at the border once, and, and this has always been complicated, so hopefully we can simplify that process. Uh, and then, Lord willing, I go on a family vision trip to uh, Montpellier um, in November of 2015 and explore how our family could get involved with that ministry there, working with Daniel, if that's what God would have for us. And then if that did go well and that was positive, then possibly move to Montpellier next June. So that's kind of what we're looking at right now. Um, that would cost, uh, I'm, the move to Montpellier, I'm not sure exactly, um, it would cost a lot. Uh, but what, what we're looking to raise right now is a total of about $16,500, and a good portion of that has already come in. And so if that, those funds come in, uh, we'll be able to go on a family vision trip to uh, Montpellier, November 2015, which is pretty exciting. Now, I did not mention to you um, the human trafficking piece, and this is something that I don't have words to express, the, um, the gravity and the astonishment at the, how the Holy Spirit can work through ordinary people. So about four years ago, Daniel, uh, he was, uh, there was a woman from South Africa who, who traveled up to his church in Montpellier and shared what she was doing to fight human trafficking in South Africa. And, and she shared uh, what she was doing, and then she shared with a group in Montpellier's church that human trafficking was a huge problem in Montpellier. And Daniel was surprised. He said, really? He had, he had no idea in everything he was involved in. In the, in the city, and she said, yes, go to this particular uh, street, look for these particular things, and you will see it. And so when the meeting was over, he drove down to that particular street, and he saw it. He saw these teenage Nigerian girls. And so he pulled up in front of them, just not sure what to do. And one of the girls, he walked up to his car, opened the door, and started to get in, and he said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not here for that. And she said, well, well, what are you here for? I said, he didn't know what to say. She said, I'm here to say Jesus loves you. He began to do research and explore what was happening in his city over the next year, reorganizing his personal life, reorganizing the ministries and the structure in the church, and realized that there, were, um, there was a part of the city where there were Nigerian girls who are brought in, another part that are Eastern European girls, another part that they're boys, and another part that are transgendered men selling their bodies. And so unique situations and problems in each part of the city. And with the Nigerian girls, what happened is, is they, they would think they're coming to France to go to school or for a job, and they would show up in France, and the traffickers would say, now you owe us 80,000 euros, and you have to work it off. Um, so you work for us until that's paid off. You can just imagine a 14-year-old English-speaking Nigerian girl ending up in French-speaking France and saying that if you try to run, we know your family back in Nigeria, we know your parents, we know your brothers and sisters, uh, and we'll kidnap one of them to come and replace you. 
And you can just imagine. So, Daniel, that was an, he said that was another moment when he and his church said, okay, God, this is happening right in, fr- in front of us, right here. We didn't know about it, but now we know. So we as a church, we have to respond to that somehow. And so what they did is they began to organize and they sent out teams of people on Friday nights that pray with these girls. And so they'll go out every Friday night and they'll have two te- well, four teams, two teams on each side, uh, one team praying with these girls and, and giving them gifts and asking them how they're doing and how they can help them. And, and then two teams in the back that are praying for the teams that are praying with the girls and, and walking through this. And they have a limited amount of time and there are issues with pimps and, and all of these kinds of things. And they started Bible studies and with these girls. They translated their, their services to English so that these girls could, uh, uh, in the back, they can listen to an English translation and be part of their services. Um, they got a group of, of lawyers together um, who are working with the government to work on legal solutions uh, to these issues. And so there are all of these things happening at the church. Um, and they're doing everything they can as a church of 200 people. And so what we see, we see a church of ordinary, I, I had a chance to meet with people who are going out on these streets, and this is not the international justice mission. These are not CIA agents or FBI. These are 21-year-old university student girls from the church going out and praying with them. These are 63-year-old women who have a little bit of extra time going out and praying with them. These are ordinary people that God is using in extraordinary ways in their community. And so what we see is that Daniel's church is actually having an influence on Moroccans, is having an influence on Nigerians, is having an influence on Eastern Europeans, is having an influence now today on us, because ordinary people decided to give themselves over and join with God in this passionate pursuit, this relentless love for other people. And he desires to do the same thing here with us. We don't know where this thing could go, but we know that God is powerful enough and strong enough that he can work through us to do amazing things. One last thing. One of Daniel's good friends is a Muslim. And as they were discussing the differences between Islam and Christianity and how that works, his friend said that at their mosque every Friday, they would have about four conversions four French who would become Muslims every Friday. And so his friend asked Daniel, Daniel, you're a pastor of a church. How many converts do you have every Sunday? I mean, out of curiosity. And that was a really troubling question for Daniel. So Daniel's friend kind of laid down the gauntlet and we're all called to make disciples. And so it's up to all of us to respond to Daniel's friend where we are as we're going, as the Holy Spirit works through us and uses us. Let's pray together. Jesus, these things are too big for us. They're too dangerous. They're too massive. But we know that your spirit is powerful and can work through us the same way it worked through the church at Antioch, the same, the same way you're working in Marseille, the same way you're working in Montpellier, God, I pray that people, anyone here today who's struggling and and doubting that you can use them, God, overcome that doubt. 
Give us confidence, not in our own abilities, but in you as the one almighty God that has sent us your spirit. Oh God, in us as a church, God, help us to embrace the disorientation, the chaos as your spirit works and leads us into new places that we're not used to and leads us into being uncomfortable. Help us embrace that, knowing that um, so that our comfort, our God is not our comfort, but you are one true God. Use us, please. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.